two articles on bmj.com are looking at Helicobacter pylori infection. First of all, there is a systematic review and meta-analysis which looks at eradication and reduction in gastric cancers. And the second one is an uncertainties article which asks who should we be testing and treating for Helicobacter pylori infection. To talk about these, I'm joined by two of the authors. First of all, we have Alex Ford, who's Associate Professor and a Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Leeds Gastroenterology Institute. Hi, Alex. Hello, Duncan. And also we have Paul Moyadi, who's Director of the Gastroenterology Division of McMaster University over in Canada. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Well, thanks, Duncan. Um, so, if we start with the research article, there has been a link suggested in a previous systematic review and meta-analysis of the link between um, H. pylori infection and gastric cancer. Um, but uh, Alex, as you've written elsewhere, you think there may have been some trouble with the data there. So where's the uncertainty? What What's going on? What do we know about that link? Well, we know that um, from observational studies that there's a, an increased risk or um, so a high, a, 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 um, a strong association between um, H. pylori infection and gastric cancer, um, and as a result of that, the World Health Organization actually passed H. pylori as a human carcinogen in the 1990s. There were trials, randomised controlled trials, conducted over the sort of last 20 years or so in various parts of the world that have taken healthy people who are asymptomatic and screened them for H. pylori infection and randomized them to either eradication therapy or placebo or no treatment. And a meta-analysis looking at those trials was published in Annals of Internal Medicine in 2008. And around that time, sorry, it's 2009 actually, around that time Paul and I were working on an identical meta-analysis, um, which we registered as a protocol with the Cochrane Review Group. Um, so we were very interested when that when the data came out in Annals of Internal Medicine, and both of us read that paper in quite a lot of detail. Unfortunately, one of the things we noticed when we read that paper was that um, the one of the trials um, from China, which had in which the participants had been followed up at three or four different time points over 10 years, um, the authors of the meta-analysis hadn't realized that because of overlapping authorship and slightly different ways in which the data had been presented in terms of the number of people recruited and things like that, and they'd actually thought they were two separate studies. <clears throat> and so um, they'd, they'd included the same study data in their meta-analysis twice. And um, one of the other things about, the, about that da those data were that um, there were actually fewer gastric cancers um, at um, five years, I think, compared to eight years, um, which seemed a bit strange. So um, we, at that time, wrote a letter to Annals of Internal Medicine saying we suspected that the authors had included the same data twice erroneously. Um, and also we recalculated the pooled effect from the meta-analysis if you, in, if you only took data at either of those time points, not at both. Um, and in the in the actual meta-analysis in annals, the the headline was that H. pylori eradication therapy can prevent gastric cancer. But when you removed data at one or other of those time points, then in both cases the pooled effect was actually no longer statistically significant. So it had a it had a you know a significant effect or an important effect on the bottom line results of the meta-analysis. Um, and so 
we 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 knew that obviously the the, the authors of the meta analysis wrote back in response and said yes they probably had in retrospect mistakenly included the data twice so following that really the the situation was in equipoise we didn't really know um whether or not we should eradicate h pylori in healthy people um and so that's why there hasn't we haven't done anything um over the intervening three or four years because we've been waiting to see what would happen in terms of further data and things like that sure so what is what other data has come out have there been any other big studies so there have been two studies that have looked at um that we, that we haven't included that have looked at <clears throat> the effect of eradication therapy in terms of preventing a subsequent gastric cancer in people who've had a very early gastric cancer resected at an endoscopy and both of those have suggested that if people receive eradication therapy then there's a, a lower risk of a metachronous, what's called a metachronous gastric cancer, in other words a gastric cancer at a later date. But more importantly actually, um, since the annals meta-analysis in 2009, which was the time that we were looking at this issue, um, there's been a further study published um, from um, Benjamin Wong's group in Hong Kong and also one of the biggest of these trials has reported data out to um, 15 years which is the study by um, Mitchell Gale and colleagues and so because they now have data over 15 years a number of gastric cancers in both arms of that trial had increased um, so this led Paul and I to have a telephone discussion about this um, about six months ago and we both decided that it would be a good time to re-examine um, the literature, make sure there were no other new studies and then um, do a do an updated meta-analysis to see whether this time there was any effect. Sure, and that meta-analysis is what's been published this week um, on bmj.com. Exactly. So could you just give us the top line from, from your findings there? So this time um, we've identified um, six, uh, six separate trials which contain data from more than 3,000 people um, and overall the bottom line really is that um, the incidence of a subsequent gastric cancer was lower in people who were assigned to eradication therapy compared to those who received either placebo or no treatment. Um, so the, the number needed to treat was actually 124 to prevent one gastric cancer. One of the things we did actually was to look at how the number needed to treat would vary according to the background attributable risk in the populations under study. So we worked out that you could, the number needed to treat could fall to as low as 15 for Chinese men to prevent one gastric cancer, and it would be as high as almost 250 for women living in the USA. How good is the data um, around this? Because for something like elimination therapy, you do wonder how effective it was. Um, you know, there's different populations, different follow-ups, things like that. So, so how good was the data that you that's that's out there? Well, I think it's important to say um, that most of the trials, I think all but one, Paul, that's right, isn't it, are from Southeast Asia? Yeah, that, that's correct. Mostly China, but also a small study from Japan. Yeah, and so um, so the only study that was done outside of a Asian population was done in um, South America, in Colombia, and that didn't actually show any benefit. So that's, that's one important caveat. Um, the other thing to say is that um, the um, one of the studies contributes a lot of data compared to the others so the results are heavily dependent on the the Mitchell Gale study which has been reported at two separate time points um, and um, if you were to take that study out of the analysis then there would no longer be a statistically significant effect. Um, in terms of quality of the studies um, they're, they're 
all bar one are randomised controlled trials, but for various other uh, placebo controlled trials. But for various other reasons, there's only three of them that are actually at a um, at a low risk of bias. So um, the the quality of the studies is not as high as it could be, unfortunately. Well, it would be important to point out that the large trial is of low risk of bias. Yes, that's true. Um, so that's interesting. So it, uh, there's an indication then that um, that eradication therapy would would help reduce gastric cancer, but there is still uncertainty. Um, and I also must beg the question, um, which takes us on to your uncertainties article, about who we should be testing and treating for um, H. pylori infection. So, Paul, perhaps if we come to you now, is there evidence of where we should be testing and treating? Yeah, uh, that's an important question, Duncan. And I think the, the, the clearest indication uh, to treat H. pylori is those that are infected who have a peptic ulcer, either a duodenal or a gastric ulcer. Uh, Alex Ford actually did a Cochrane systematic review on this uh, and showed there are 57 trials that have addressed this question. And in every case, there is a significant effect of Helicobacter pylori reducing the uh, risk of a recurrent either duodenal or gastric ulcer. And uh, the effect is extremely strong with a number needed to treat of uh, around two, which is one of the strongest effects you'll, you'll see in medicine. So I think there are very few people that would disagree uh, that you should treat H. pylori if someone has a peptic ulcer and is infected with the organism. Worldwide, it is a major cause of ulcer disease and uh, you can effectively uh, 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 stop any recurrence of that ulcer by uh, successfully treating the organism. I think uh, uh, when we move uh, on to other uh, areas, the evidence is not quite as strong, but I, I think most gastroenterologists at least would agree that there are other indications as well. Uh, one of those is uh, so-called functional dyspepsia, when the person has epigastric pain or discomfort, but when you do an endoscopy, everything looks normal. Uh, there, uh, we have done another Cochrane systematic review and a review that was published in the BMJ uh, uh, 14 years ago now, uh, was the first one, but uh, that uh, shows that there are again around, uh, over 20 trials, and uh, there is a small but statistically significant effect of H. pylori eradication improving symptoms. The effect is small though, so uh, and much more modest. So that's why there is a little uncertainty there, but uh, uh, to my mind, not a lot. Um, and uh, if you put those two together and you're, you're in primary care and your person presents to you with epigastric discomfort and you haven't done the endoscope, and so you don't know whether they have an ulcer or not, uh, not surprisingly, randomized trials have shown that uh, if you test a, for H. pylori and find that they're positive, then uh, treating uh, the uh, organism reduces symptoms significantly uh, more than placebo. So uh, this gives rise to the concept of test and treat. So you test non-invasively for uh, H. pylori and someone that presents to you with epigastric discomfort and uh, if uh, they are positive, you offer them uh, eradication therapy uh, and with no need to endoscope them, provided, of course, they don't have alarm symptoms and they're not of an age where there is a high risk of gastric cancer. 
So, so I think in all of those cases, uh, there, there is agreement that uh, uh, pe- people should be offered uh, th- antibiotic therapy if they're infected with the organism. So if we move then to uh, negative evidence, as it were, where do we know that um, testing and treating doesn't help? When is it not indicated? Uh, I think the most important negative is reflux disease. So if the person has uh, esophagitis on endoscopy or if you're seeing them in primary care and they have uh, predominant heartburn symptoms, uh, retrosterning, burning pain rising up in their chest, uh, then uh, it's pretty clear that H. pylori eradication therapy does not help that individual. Uh, we did a randomized trial uh, some time ago which showed no difference in symptoms uh, between those offered treatment and those not. So I think it's also pretty clear that in that group of patients uh, you uh, shouldn't really offer therapy because it will be of no benefit. Now, of course, epigastric discomfort and heartburn often go together and often it's difficult for the patient to decide um, which uh, which. Uh, is their predominant symptom. So this can be easy to say, but in clinical practice, it can be a bit more difficult to distinguish. Uh, But uh, basically, if you're convinced that reflux disease is the driver of this patient's symptoms, then you shouldn't really be offering H. pylori eradication therapy. I mean, as you say that, it might be hard to um, decide clinically whether or not it it would be useful to test and treat. And what might sway that is, is, are there any harms of doing treatment? Yeah, uh, this is important in all aspects of medicine and in the realm of H. pylori, this has uh, uh, generated a lot of controversy. So if we take the reflux story first, there has been some suggestion that you may make reflux symptoms worse by eradicating H. pylori. I I think randomized trials have shown that really is not the case. Uh, But another area of contention is could you be Uh, causing uh, reflux symptoms in uh, patients who didn't have it beforehand by eradicating the organism. Uh, There was uh, a sub-analysis of one randomized trial that uh, suggested this might be the case. It uh, received a lot of uh, press a little over 15 years ago. And really the controversy hasn't completely um, gone ever since. That having been said, there have been two large population-based randomized trials, one done in Leeds, in which Alex and I were involved, and it was led by uh, David Foreman and Tony Axon, and um, uh, another in Bristol, uh, led by Richard Harvey. Uh, both, uh, both groups randomized uh, one and a half to two and a half thousand infected, H. pylori-infected subjects. These are general people from the population and uh, randomized them to eradication therapy or placebo, so very large studies. And when we look at uh, these people over the next um, five to ten years, um, there's no increase in reflux symptoms in those that are receiving the eradication group. So I think this is pretty strong evidence in uh, population terms that the, with the reflux story, uh, there's not, no major harm. That isn't to say that in an individual case you may... Uh, cause reflux disease by eradicating H. pylori, but in in general, you probably don't do that. Um, Having said that, there are, of course, other concerns regarding harm. Uh, 
So I would emphasize the two major um, uh, concerns, which are, could this increase the risk of um, uh, asthma and could this increase the risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma, which is the fastest rising uh, cancer in, uh, lethal cancer in the West. Uh, so obviously that's a major concern. If it were true, um, I uh, feel that the evidence here is, uh, is uh, weak. The asthma evidence is very contradictory. Uh, Marty Blazer, who's led uh, this, uh, this hypothesis, feels that it, it's, it's, um, there are conflicting results because it's all about when you get H. pylori in childhood. But this becomes a very difficult to prove hypothesis. And the bottom line is, it's pretty clear that eradicating H. pylori when you're older doesn't make asthma worse. So I don't think it's really a harm in the sense that if you intervene, they're going to do the patient um, uh, uh, harm. The esophageal adenocarcinoma story obviously is important. Uh, and I, I would say... Uh, is still uncertain. There, there is clear observational data that those with the uh, most virulent strain of H. pylori uh, actually have the most protective effect uh, uh, association rather with, um, uh, with esophageal adenocarcinoma. But whether this is real or due to confounding factors is uncertain. And I emphasize this because when you look at the literature on what H. pylori may do to protect you, in other words, if you eradicate it, you may cause harm, it's also balanced by a big literature of the other things that H. pylori is associated with, which is harmful, such as ischemic heart disease and uh, growth redartation. So it is said that if you have H. pylori, you have a higher risk of uh, myocardial infarction. You have uh, uh, you have a lower adult height, um, and this persists when you adjust for confounding factors. But, it, but it's interesting that all these so-called protective effects of H. pylori are, you, you see in more high-income groups, or certainly more developed countries, and uh, those where H. pylori is harmful is seen in a lower socioeconomic status, or there's a higher prevalence than lower socioeconomic status. Uh, and my belief anyway is many, but we can never say all, of these uh, both protective and harmful effects are probably uh, because H. pylori is, uh, is one of the most effective markers of socioeconomic status as you were growing up than any other measure that we have. So given, you know, the uncertainties and the possible benefits um, of doing this, uh, should we be thinking about, you know, um, treat, screening and treating the, the population as a whole for H. pylori? Well, this is a question, Duncan, that we've been wrestling with for 20 years now. Uh, and as Alex said, there is now, with a systematic review evidence, randomized trial, evidence of benefit. But it's important to emphasize that benefit is very uncertain. The 95% confidence intervals are close to one. They rely on one large study. Really, we need more evidence before we're sure of benefit. And against that, there are still harms of which we're uncertain of, such as the esophageal adenocarcinoma story. So I think it would be premature to suggest that we should be doing this in the general population as yet. Uh, I think in, in Asian countries and other countries where the risk of uh, mortality from gastric cancer is very high uh, and the risk of these other things is low, 
then uh, clearly there is an urgency to answer this question. So hopefully uh, more trials will be done so that uh, countries like China and Japan and Korea uh, could uh, reduce mortality in their populations. I think in the West, though, where gastric cancer is less common, uh, there's even more reason really to hold fire for now and, um, and wait and see what the evidence really shows. Although, I guess if I could just interject, um, we, we do know that um, certainly in the two population screening and treatment programs that they've been in healthy asymptomatic peoples in the UK, which were done in, in Leeds and Bristol, um, although obviously the incidence of gastric cancer is low, there are other benefits from adopting a screening and treatment program for H. pylori in that in both those studies the actual um, costs associated with um, dyspepsia and dyspepsia-related resource use were lower in those who received eradication therapy compared to those who received um, placebo. And if you take it from the perspective that this would be a, a once-in-a-lifetime screening program, it's not like having a mammography or a cervical smear, this is a one-off test, then potentially um, this, this could be one of the lowest um, cost screening programs to implement compared to other, other types. Great. Well, uh, Paul and Alex, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Thanks very much, Duncan. That was Alex Ford from the Leeds Gastroenterology Institute and Paul Moyedi from the Gastroenterology Division of McMaster University talking about Heliobacter pylori infection, who should we test and treat. Both the articles that we've discussed today are now available online on bmj.com.